everyone, this is Ada. Remember in the first couple episodes when Brian and I were talking about not taking Saturday school that seriously when we were kids? Well, today we have a special episode where we invited director Michael Kong to talk about the film They Call Me Bruce from 1982, and he brought along his two daughters, Clay and Riot. And we thought it was only fitting that when we forced children to come to a recording of our Saturday School podcast, that they neither listened to us nor learned anything. So if at any time during this recording you hear any random kissing noises into the mic or hysterical laughter that doesn't make a lot of sense, or maybe you just wonder why I'm not participating that much in the conversation. Yes, it's partially because I don't have as much to say about Asian male masculinity in the 1980s, but also because I'm trying not to laugh because Clay is poking me to make sure that I see that she has taped a Daniel Day Kim mask to her face. Daniel Day Kim mask was courtesy of the Comedy Comedy Festival, a comedy festival, where we recorded this episode back in August. So sit back. If you can, try to pay just a little bit more attention to the conversation than the kids did, and hope you enjoy this special episode. I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Saturday School, our podcast about Asian American pop culture history. Today is a very special episode for two reasons. We're here recording live at the Comedy Comedy Festival, which is the brainchild of Jenny Yang with her team of folks from Disoriented Comedy and JACCC, which is where we're recording now. And the second reason that this is a very special episode is that we have very special guests. We have three special guests today. Michael Kong, award-winning director of films such as the Motel, West 32nd, and Four Wedding Planners. Mm-hmm. And two superstars in the making, Clay and Riot Kong. Hyun Kong, actually. Hyun Kong. Do you want to okay. say hi? Say hi. 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 You got to talk into the microphone, not to her. Hi. <laughs> Thanks um, for having us. <laughs> <laughs> so just to give even you guys a sense of our podcast, we're going back to... Um, old works by Asian American artists that we think are worth revisiting. Kind of our excuse to bring things out of the vault that we've liked over the years or rewatch things that we feel like we should have watched. They were going to talk about the 1982 film They Call Me Bruce. And the reason that we brought Michael Kong here is because um, if you Google Asian American film, most likely a list from IMDb will pop up. It's actually a really great resource. We both are kind of cover pop culture. (laughs) She's talking about movies. So it's a great list of Asian American films, and one of them is They Call Me Bruce. He has commentary on each one, and under They Call Me Bruce, he wrote, this film changed my life. So, <laughs> do you even remember that? I think this is, uh, yeah, I think I put that list together in a bout of insomnia, so I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what I wrote. Yeah, about. yeah. But, but yeah, it was a very important film for me. Okay. Yeah, so we thought it would be great to have you come on and talk a little bit more about it from your perspective. The inspiration for the title Saturday School is kind of this joke based on the Chinese schools that we right. were forced to go to growing <laughs> up as kids. When, when all of our friends were watching Saturday morning cartoons, we were trying right. to learn Chinese or whatever whatever it is that our parents took made us go to. Right. Yeah. Koreans, we had that too. Koreans. Yeah, I was going to ask you. My dad was actually the principal of the Korean school. No way. No. But I, I skipped all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, my mom was one of the Just teachers. Do they have to go to Korean American no. Saturday school? You know what? I was looking for a Korean school for them, that a Korean language school that wasn't uh, um, church-based, because we don't 
admission, we don't go to church. But I couldn't find one. There was one program in L.A., but it seemed to be defunct. So, so you guys have been spared, but you're not spared from today. No. <laughs> you're, we're taking you to Saturday school today, yeah, so today we'll, we'll get real hope education. you're excited about it. Oh, yeah. But the idea is, like, behind Saturday school, you're learning the things that you don't learn in, in regular school. At least that's what our parents, their approach to it was. Right. But for us, it's like we don't learn a lot about Asian American popular culture sure. that everyone else gets inundated with Hollywood popular culture. So, so for our first season slash semester, we wanted to focus on Asian American comedies. Naturally, we found They Call Me Bruce as, like, this is, this is a, a canonical Asian American comedy, I think, if there ever was one. Yeah, um, I mean, I think for me, it was, uh, it, why I, it was life-changing was that before this movie, the only thing that Asian and Asian Americans were known for were, like, kung fu movies. And, you know, because of the power of Bruce Lee, it, it just be inundated. Okay. <laughs> we need to get oh, some water yeah. for our guests. Pop culture at that point was just inundated with with all these these uh, kung fu films. As much as I liked those, I still actually felt a little bit of a disconnect because I grew up Korean American as opposed to Chinese American, and I feel like at home, especially at that age, before I hit teen years, it was very much about being Korean at home. And so the only thing that we had was Mash, and then this movie came out, and I think it also just spoke to me because it was comedy. It showed me that you could do something other than just kung fu, even though there's a lot of kung fu in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Just so our listeners have a sense of what this movie is. So the, the film is directed by Elliot Hong, starring Johnny Yoon, who was then a stand-up comedian, frequently on the Johnny Carson show. And it's about how he is this kind of this hapless Asian-American guy. Everyone thinks he looks like Bruce Lee, and that leads him on all kinds of adventures um, with the mafia and across the country with a bag of cocaine. And it's all the, the mishaps that happen when kind of a, a, a silly Asian-American guy is mistaken as Bruce Lee. He walked like him. He talked like him. Give me five, yo, mama, get down. He wanted to be just like Bruce Lee. You must know Kung Fu. Oh, yeah, I was stepping. So you mentioned that you watched it when it first came out. Don't touch that. Hello? <laughs> it's hard to get good personal assistance these days. Um, I'm trying to remember, but I think I, I was 12 at the time, so I remember seeing it in the theaters, and I remember it, it was actually a really big deal that it came out, but I don't know if that was just because because it was a Korean-American who was, who was starring in it. I remember actually seeing Johnny Yoon on The Tonight Show a couple times, and, and I think he was in MASH, too. I think he'd shown up on MASH a couple times. So he was already kind of a rising star. And then, yeah, when this movie came out, it was, it was kind of a big deal within the Korean-American community. Do you recall there being other Asian-American stand-up comedians, up-and-comers at that time? There was that one funny guy in Sanford and Son who was uh, friends with Lamont. <laughs> but he was, I don't know if he was a stand-up, but he was, uh -huh. that's the only other funny guy, and Pat Morita. Right, yeah. But stand-up, I feel like Johnny Yoon was the only guy I actually remember seeing on The Tonight Show. Like, I can actually picture him in front of that rainbow curtain, mm. you know? And then what was your response to the film when it came out? If your mom was trying to get you to watch it for cultural reasons, it probably didn't work. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I, I mean, like, you don't learn a lot about being... Uh, about being Korean. No, <laughs> he's playing a Chinese guy yeah. in the movie. <laughs> I remember thinking it was very funny. I mean, there's a lot of slapstick humor in it. Going back to it, you know, I, I showed it to the kids last night to see if, if anything resonated or <laughs> stood up, and which, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily stand the test of time, but a lot of it is based on referential humor to, like, the culture of that time, that I'm like, oh, my kids have no idea what they're talking about here. All these lines that are, are just, they're very family guy for that era. There's a lot of antiquated 
terminology, like the, the I mean, in the opening where they, he says the most important thing is broad. The most important thing in life is broad. I mean, nobody calls women broad. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard the term broads. Yeah, I was just telling you earlier that when I watched a month ago, I had to rewind because I was like, this is, I think this is a really important line. What is the most important thing? I didn't know what he was saying. Um, I think there was, I can't, I'm trying to remember, there were a bunch of like things like Sinatra uh, references. Sam, Sammy Davis yeah, Jr. Yeah, Sammy Davis Jr. Like a lot of, yeah, Rat Pack stuff. I think there's some visual references to other movies of that time. The Godfather. Oh, the, oh like Saturday Night Fever. Oh, they yeah. do the Saturday Night Fever thing where he's walking down the street. And uh, yeah, there were a lot of little things like that that, that I'm sure just completely flew, I, kn I know flew over their heads. You know, as a filmmaker, as a, especially as an independent filmmaker, looking at that movie, I, it's pretty impressive what they got accomplished. They definitely shot in at least two cities. It's definitely a low budget, they did it by the skin of their teeth kind of thing. And they accomplished a lot in terms of production value. I mean, also a lot of fight choreography. And, and oh at that time, Margot Hemingway was the more famous of the Hemingways. Like, Muriel Hemingway wasn't what hadn't yet become Muriel Hemingway. And, and Margot was the one that they were thought was going to become the big star. So she was pretty hot at that point. It was like one of those kind of indie movies that, uh, I don't know, like a Marissa Tomei would do on the side or something. I mean, the writing, I, I feel like, has, <laughs> has its issues. But I also, at the same time, I'm like, well, I can kind of forgive it because English isn't their first language. <laughs> and so they're writing a comedy in English, which, you know, and, and part of the charm of it is that he is a fob and just going through this world, you know? I mean... The one weird thing is that there are a lot of offensive stereotypes for uh, across the board, like Italians, Jews, blacks, blacks, women, they, women, definitely women. Um, uh, they don't do any gay jokes. There, there is a gay joke. Oh, is there? Um, there was like an effeminate way of saying they. Oh, they oh yeah, there Bruce. was one. One, one of the guys. Yeah, that's right. But so it's, I think it's. I mean, it's of its time, like Cannonball Run, kind of like just let loose, and anyone can be picked on. Oh, that's right. He was in Cannonball Run too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think it was probably playing off a lot of the success of those kind of movies. I wanted to play a clip, and then maybe we can chat about about this. Um, this is the scene where Johnny Yoon's character has just beat up a bunch of hoodlums with with nunchucks, and he thinks he's he's all that all of a sudden. He's on the streets, and he's about to be picked up by some cops. Hey. You got a permit to carry those nunchucks? For this? You don't need no permit for this. That's a lethal weapon. You're under arrest. Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. These are my chopsticks. So listeners can't see that. He's eating his, his drumstick with his, with his chopsticks looking good. What did you think of that scene, Clay? It was weird. <laughs> Why? Probably because he was using nunchucks as chopsticks. I mean that's that's basically the scene, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of it's kind of funny to see like these kind of um, artifacts of like Oriental kind of kung fu stuff being used kind of against the the white cops. Mm -hmm. um, I mean that's probably giving it too much credit even, but I but, think it's weird. Yeah, why do you think it's weird? Because it's gross. It's gross. Yeah, it is gross. Tasting the nunchucks. Oh. Yeah, you don't know where the nunchucks have been. <laughs> but but kind of the gag is then that like these Asians are so foreign that even the sight of unhygienic use of nunchucks <laughs> is potentially passable to these to these white cops who <laughs> right. are like maybe yes. this is normal. Maybe I should be more culturally sensitive in this situation. I mean that, that's kind of the gag. That's like so that's why the cops just let him go. They, they don't so. arrest him for I mean, his the, nunchucks. There's a lot of scenes in this where 
um, the cops seem to not follow up on <laughs> <Yeah>. what's... <laughs> like, they seem to get almost arrested about four or five times, and they get out of it in very suspect ways. <laughs> Usually involving cocaine. Or other FBI agents beating up the cops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or he does a lot of, like, playing... Pe- two, two groups that have to get him against each other, and he right. slips away. Um, but, like, just playing this... If everyone thinks he's good at martial arts, maybe he can get away with something. Do, do you think that's, like, a Asian-American male response to the world in some ways? Like, if people think... To you know, try and fake it? If you, if, yeah, well, if people think you know, know martial arts... Have you ever arts, tried that? I think with me, it's pretty clear that I'm not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, no, I, one of my older brother's friends once was like, yeah, you should totally do that. People would totally buy it. But I just don't think that I ever had the balls to like <laughs> actually go through with, like, you got to jump around a little bit, <laughs> you know, like do the kind of the hand movements and the, the wooing, the kind of Bruce Lee woos, and I just don't <laughs> think it's going to work out. That's yeah, actually the in the trailer of the film. I don't know if you got to see the trailer, but they show the scene where he... It's like a purse snatcher that he's trying to oh, right, right. intimidate, and he does mm-hmm. the Bruce Lee thing, and it actually works <laughs> in yeah. this fictional world. With my right foot, I can knock out that knife. With my left, I can kick your nose. With this hand, I can poke out your eyes. With this, I can break your neck. Take a good look at my face. I'm an Oriental. It's cool, bro. I don't want no trouble this time. It's cool. The trailer also ends with a tagline that goes, They call me Bruce, a superhero America can believe in. Which is kind of, I mean, it's very tongue-in-cheek. I mean, they don't think anyone's going to look at him and think he's a hero. Right. But is there, like, like I don't know, when you watched it, did you think about That's him That's a as, weird tagline. That doesn't really capture... I don't think they've marketed the marketing this pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> but it did. It was very successful. I mean, I was reading on, I think they, they made, like, $16 million in... 325 theaters. Never even went to full wide release, but made like a ton of money. It was successful enough for there to be a sequel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have, have you seen the sequel? I think I, I remember it coming out, and I, I, I remember actually them re-releasing this. For some reason, I remember it being re-released on TV as called uh, Fistful of Chopsticks mm. at some point, because I, I thought it was the sequel, but they just retitled it, and then so I watched it again. But you said like it was re-released, so they had some kind of shelf life after. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Yoon became a thing like after this. It was definitely a hit. From my understanding, like after this, then he tried for a little while longer here in the States, but then he went back to Korea and then became the Johnny Carson of Korea. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> he had his own talk show for the longest time. And like I was in Korea for Yonsei or something. I think I turned it on the TV and he was on there. And uh, I remember some of the people there being like, yeah, he came he came back and started his own show, but they were like, his Korean's okay. Like, it's not so bad. Like, they think of him as a very American, and they're, but I w- and like, we're here having trouble having, understanding him saying broads. <laughs> 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 so he's totally stuck in the middle somewhere, you know? That's interesting, because in, in the U.S., I mean, with this film, his his shtick is kind of fish out of water. Right. And this, this is totally Yakov Smirnoff territory. Yeah, <laughs> we are. So when he went to Korea, like, what was his comic persona there? I mean, you said he's westernized. I think he became more serious because then after that, he had the successful talk show for a long time, and that then I think he just did specials after a while. Like, he would just do, like, Olympic specials. He would do produce Olympic specials and stuff. So he had a pretty long-lasting career. I think he did, like, leave an important legacy in the United States. I mean, the fact that we're talking about him now, the fact that for a certain generation, he could have potentially changed your life. Um, yeah, did, I mean, I think he definitely he definitely made it seem possible. Like, I like is planting that seed that that you know this guy who you would never suspect would actually be able to you know be liked by American pop culture was you know 
I mean, obviously, I didn't think that I could follow in those footsteps and like clown myself that way, but that was his thing, and so it, it worked. But I also think that on the other level was that you know it was a Korean Korean guy who who totally made his own path. And do you see the character that Johnny and this comedic style? Do you see people who followed up and kind of taken up that? No, I think within our community we're too sensitive to that. Like we wouldn't, we don't support that. I think we get very sensitive when people are too, you know, quote unquote, fobby. And mm. um, so I'm trying to think if there's any successful comedians that that the only thing that comes to mind is William Hung, which is not he's not a comedian, <laughs> you know, uh, um, or not intentionally, right? Um, but I feel like there are there are those guys that like uh, the comedian. I think his name is Henry Cho. Do you remember him? He kind of played on the same thing in that the expectations of this guy versus what he who he actually was. So the immigrant part of it is not there. It's more like he's actually just this hick trapped inside a like, Korean dude's body. You know. So in that sense, yeah, surpassing expectations. Yeah, yeah. It's a very specific style of comedy. I mean, it's very one-linery. Yeah, it's very Vegas and very, like, corny. Like, there's that cocaine scene where they're in the jail and the, the cocaine starts flying everywhere. How they react to the cocaine, you realize nobody on that set has ever done cocaine because <laughs> they are not <laughs> reacting at all. Like, it makes any sense at all. Like, uh, so, so in that way, it, yeah, it's, it's just it's very innocent in some ways and very family-friendly. Though I had to try and explain what drugs were to my daughters, and they had no idea. This is the film that teaches them what drugs are. We should ask them, what did you guys think of the the film that you watched yesterday? People get crazy. (laughs) That's a good summary. (laughs) It's also kind of a raunchy film. I mean, like, in in a PG-13 kind of way. There's only that one graphic nudity, right? The hot tub scene, (laughs) which happens for, like, a split second for one joke. You're a 10 when you should have been a 36. (laughs) A lot of things happen in this movie for just one joke. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, structurally, it's a really weird film because it seems like it's going to start off as like a mobster film and then it turns into a road film and then there's, all, like, there's so many storylines going on, it's really hard to keep track of what's going on. Like, they were very confused. You were very confused, right, Clay? What was going on? Can you remember what the story was? Like, what was the actual story? This boy didn't really have parents, but his grandfather took care of him. But then he died, and he had to go to America to find his true love. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about none of those things. <laughs> and that just goes to show like, how, how erratic this storyline is. But that's true. That was a really that actually good was That's, that's yeah. 100% correct. <laughs> but it's kind of cool, like, like, in a time where there wasn't really Asian-American cinema, where this is directed by an Asian-American, mm-hmm. that they were able to stuff kind of everything that we potentially could do into one movie. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you, you've done some teaching, like, for screenwriting. Uh-huh. How, how would this grade in your class? Um, I would say there's potential. There's a story in there somewhere. I would probably try and have them go back to what Clay just said, which is like, <laughs> well, this is what you're promising the story is going to be. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what all this other stuff is. But I think part of it is when you teach screenwriting also, it's like you don't want to kill what makes them passionate. And I feel like it seems like those kinds of jokes, just doing it for the sake of the, the one-liners is what, that was their intention, just to, do, just to fill it with as many jokes as possible. So the, the plot wasn't really that important to them. That's what they're good at. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think I would, would really trust them with the plot. And as far as we can tell, Elliot Hong... I mean, I would love to see a remake done where they, somebody actually took it and like really streamlined and made it really, like, you know, like did, did basically the same story, but did it really well. I think it'd be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> It could be like a Harold and Kumar type. Do you see any line between this and his character here and like a Long Dog Dong in terms of 
kinds of clowning or Asian American clowning. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, I think the double edge of this sort is that not that it was taboo to make fun of Asians, but I think once it became successful as a trope, it opened up the floodgates for it to be acceptable to add that in. I mean, it wasn't just Long Duck Dong. Also, the Police Academy movies had that guy. You know, they always kind of throw in one when they can't think of anything better, like some geeky Asian kid. I mean, even Data in uh, Goonies was a version of that, though he was much cooler than, than some of the other ones. Yeah. He's what I grew up watching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you went on to make Asian American comedies. I'm not sure if this film in particular inspired the motel. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, like, how your comedic sensibility has been shaped, not necessarily by this film, but, like, what kinds of comedies? I grew up kind of a student of comedy. I think that this era was also the time when I was really into Cheech and Chong and, and uh, you know, Animal House had come out and... Um, all the National Lampoon movies, like, I was obsessed with those things. So in that way, it was part of it. You know, it was part of a bigger movement that actually shaped my sensibility as, as, in terms of comedy. Um, also, the, the smart sitcoms of, like, the, the Norman Lear era mm -hmm. of TV. And then from there, I think what I really loved about both of those styles was that they were able to layer in something a little more serious, but still not kill the comedy. And I think that that's what I... You know, I think I probably lean a little heavier towards the drama, but I think that I don't ever want to kill the comedy because if it's not funny, I feel like it's really hard to get it, the audience to, to accept certain things. I think being able to ride that line is, is really important to me. Are there any other Asian-American comedies that you're a fan of that you would recommend? Um, or that inspired you along the way? I, let me, I'm trying to think of... Um, along the way... It's kind of hard, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> a, I mean, there's not a lot of Asian American films. I mean, I put together that that list on IMDb specifically because a lot of the films just weren't released theatrically or or even on DVD. You know, there has hasn't been enough to to say that that even as a genre, there's an Asian American comedy. I'm trying to think of, you know, Harold and Kumar is, but it's not. I don't know if you can consider that Asian American because it's not made by Asian Americans. Is it? I don't know. No, it's no, not directed it's not. by. Asian. But that no. that's kind of the project with this with this podcast or this yeah, season. Yeah, because there actually are a lot, but you kind of also want to direct people to the ones that you like or have some cultural significance. <laughs> you don't want to tell people, hey, go watch this thing and then have it be something that yeah. isn't that funny. And what we're finding is that they're coming from weird pockets of Asian American cinema. It's not like there was a, ever a wave of Asian American comedies. Right. So for instance, 1982 had, they call me Bruce, but also Chan is Missing, which is in itself a kind of comedy oh, yeah. also. And represent very different kind of traditions in filmmaking. <laughs> right, right. But then we also there's Ang Lee's The Wedding Banquet, which is a comedy, but that comes from this like a Taiwanese co-production. Right. So there, yeah, there never really was this wave. Right. That's what we love a, picking like, up on. Yeah, it wasn't a movement of like a national lampoon. Like the, I mean, maybe maybe Jenny Yang is going to start this. Maybe there will be a, a wave. Yeah. Of which is funny because now I think people associate Asian Americans with comedy in the mainstream because of stuff like. Fresh off the boat. Or there just has been a lot of Asian-American right. comic right. actors. Right. Yeah. But that was kind of a fun project for us. For this podcast, we were like, let's kind of break it down. And for this season, let's start with comedies, because that's really fun. And then mm -hmm. kind of going back, being like, which ones should we really focus on? Cause yeah. But I also feel like there's something kind of, even the idea of doing Asian-American comedy, like the fact that that exists, is mm -hmm. very empowering. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing, I mean, for me, uh, as a director, working within, like, constraints of, of independent production, I hear about, like, Judd Apatow films, and they're, like, doing 50, 100 <laughs> takes, you know, improving. like, they have their set script, and then they try 25 more different takes to see if something will 
make it even funnier and they have this breath to really because comedy you have to, there's a lot of trial and error and I think a lot of it is built in the editing room even if you come in with a really funny script like some of my favorite jokes in the motel are had to be cut because they just didn't we didn't have the time to really craft it and really try and get it to that base and I think that that's the biggest challenge for unless we had the volume of, of artists who can actually go out and like everybody can try like you shoot a movie over the weekend and like Jenny Yang shoots a movie over the weekend but not all of our eggs are in that basket but there's uh, three other dudes you know Shang Wen is, is doing his movie and, every, and everybody's just trying stuff out and, and then there's this factory of, of comedy you know, I you know I think it's kind of like the UCB thing. Like like there's a, so many people coming out of that alternate alternative comedy movement that eventually some, you know different people within that group will hit. Um, I think that we don't have enough of a community. We don't have enough of a community as Asian Americans, and then if then you're going to try and break it down to comedians. First time filmmakers, I think, tend to be very serious. You know, they they have been driven to this point where they they have to tell something very important and. I think it's it's hard to just say, can you just do something funny? <laughs> you know, why don't you try something funny? Well, maybe this, I mean, we are at the Comedy Comedy Festival and it is a gathering of a whole bunch of Asian Americans that, I don't know if all of them are working in comedy, but, you know, they're trying it out. I think they have over 100 performers, so mm -hmm. maybe this is sort of building a community that, yeah. you know, I think that definitely on the. I think you, you're right that definitely on the performer side, there's a lot there's a lot of strength there and I think like in a lot of those kind of uh, improv troops improv teams there are a lot of uh, Asian Americans who are working with them like IO and, and uh, UCB and Groundlings and stuff there but I think there isn't a actual it's kind of like when I was in high school I went back to my high school reunion on, and I looked around and I was like oh wait a second there was a bunch of us Asians but we were all the token Asian of our clique but if we had all banded together we would have made a great awesome Asian group, but we were all kind of dispersed amongst like the jocks and the art, artsy kids and the whatever, and the, the nerds. So there was no cohesiveness to it, and I feel like that's kind of where, like, that's why, yeah, something like this festival is amazing, because hopefully it is going to bring people together beyond just this, you know, this showcase, but actually, you know, start, start really collaborating. Um, but I think uh, being a comedy director is, I think that there's also a disconnect in terms of, like, and it may be a little bit of self-doubt that that when it comes to but you are hilarious. I am a hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I think that sometimes that even if there are Asian American performers, they don't necessarily look for Asian American directors or producers to actually create the work or to help mold the work. They want it to be under the umbrella of something a little more legitimate, um, which is totally understandable, but I think, I think you need it on all sides, not just performers, but also directors and writers, you know? Well, I'm curious, like, because we were talking about BuzzFeed earlier, and your daughters are probably exposed to a very different kind of Asian-American comedy than we were growing mm -hmm. up. Have you seen, in terms of, like, what they're watching, are there Asian-American comedians they in their diets? Uh, Clay mostly watches uh, Minecraft videos, so <laughs> there's this guy, Dan, TDM, uh, and, you know, there's all these guys who just play Minecraft on, uh, on videos, so... Uh, but she also, actually, the one thing that YouTube is great for, like, she does watch this one series called Seven Supergirls, which is just girls a little bit older than her, that, that they, there are seven of them, and so they each contribute to this channel and create videos. And I feel like it's definitely a different approach to, like, they, I think that the sense of possibility, like, she's, 
you know, hitting me up to make videos all the time now, and she wants to get her YouTube channel launched and all this. Oh my god! It's like she Watch just sit here announcement. She, just, <laughs> you know, I, it's it's a, just a different way of thinking. It's just like let's let's do it. Let's get it out there. Let's do it. Yeah, I think it's just you know thinking about kids nowadays, like Asian American kids watching other Asian Americans on the internet, and even if they're not comedian comedians, a lot of the stuff that is a hit on the internet is comedy or just right. people being silly. So I feel like they will be very used to watch Asian Americans being funny. Yeah, and I, I also don't think that there is. I don't think they feel the need to be as conscious of representation because I think it's out there. If you want to find a Nigerian to look at, you go. You can just Google Nigerian, you know, YouTube channel and find Nigerian or whatever it is. You know, if you feel like you're underrepresented, I think now just because of the way technology is, you can just find it. The hard part is that it's, there's there's no curation anymore. It's just it's just all one big blah. Do you want to talk about like what, what's coming up with you? The only thing right now is I, I rapped on this short film. Uh, it's called uh, Special Lunch. It's a coming-of-age thing uh, written by Aurora Koo and uh, Gina Gold, who are TV writing partners. They've written for like Nurse Jackie and, and a bunch of other stuff. And a very sweet, kind of funny film about a girl who works at a Chinese restaurant and you know her cru- this crush she has on a Latino skater boy. It's just been one of those things that's just a labor of love. Like Just do it just because it feels like a story that should be told. Meanwhile, you're making YouTube videos for, for your daughter. I'm tr- I'm supposed to be making YouTube videos with my daughter. She has a bunch to, uh, planned what are her out. Ideas? In the, Clay, do you want to talk about some of your ideas yeah. for your? I was of talking about this thing about what does a fox say song, where some of my friends join and then they're like, "This is what I think the fox says," and then we, and then my dad could edit it to make it look like they're actually singing the song. <laughs> Like parts of it, and then Riot comes in and just says, But this is what the fox says, and then she shows a video of what a fox actually says, and she's like, I'm smarter than you, and then we all get confused. <laughs> <laughs> I think this sounds like a hit. But it's amazing, like, how, like, as she's conceiving it, she's already thinking about editing. Yeah, how, she how has she work? knows structure, she's got structure in her head. Yeah, I feel like when we were, but it's age, funny it's because it, this is developed over. I think six months, maybe eight months. It didn't have as much, like now she has like a punchline. It's like, it's, it's actually well thought out. What are you inspired by? Like what made you want to do a YouTube video? Because I've started watching like a lot of YouTube and then I just started thinking that I, that I might want to do it. Who do you what? like on YouTube? Seven Supergirls? Yeah, it's Which? fun to watch and then it gives me ideas. Sometimes. Which is your favorite of your dad's movies? I haven't seen any of them. (laughs) (laughs) She has to pay for a copy. (laughs) Riot has something to say. Oh, yeah. I need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Don't worry, you're not the only one. (laughs) Thank you so much for being our guest. And thank you, Clay and Riot. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) All right, somebody's going to have an accident. Okay, okay. I want to watch the end. Watch the end? Oh, okay. You're not the one who needs to go to the bathroom, right? So it was Riot who had to go to the bathroom, and Clay wanted to rewatch the scene at the very end of They Call Me Bruce, where an animated version of the Statue of Liberty winks at the camera. For both of them, that was their favorite scene in the movie. And you heard it here. Look out for Clay's YouTube channel. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talisley. Our theme song is courtesy of Rinsky Music and Premium Beat. We have a Tiny Letter newsletter you can sign up for to get lecture notes. tinyletter.com slash Saturday School Podcast. 
Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G, and Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-N. Next week, your assignment is to watch the comedy musical Fruit Fly by H.P. Mendoza. Extra credit if you watch Como the Musical by Richard Wong first. Class dismissed. <laughs>